Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 69 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. One of Scouts practice areas for the last several years has been cannabis. And last year, we were able to focus and get about 15 podcast uh, guests from the cannabis industry. So today we have an additional guest from the cannabis industry, and we're really looking forward to it. Today, our guest is Jocelyn Sheltra. Director of Industry Relations at Headset. Jocelyn, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Thank you, Max. What's happening? Not a whole lot. I'm going to start out with an easy question just to get the flow of things going. As well as I love uh, from what we've talked about with your company, I want to get some awareness to Headset and then we'll get into some more personal stuff. But to start out, tell us about your company, Headset. Um, from the, you know, when I read the kind of the tagline, empowering the cannabis industry by providing real-time consumer trends and marketing intelligence, but tell us more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's super cool. We're, we're doing and data is a really big word these days that can mean so many different things. So I'll kind of break it down and, and simplify it a bit in terms of what we do specifically. So the company has been around for seven plus years now, and we were originally started by the founders of Leafly. So Cy, Brian and Scott, our three co-founders are still with the company, all three of them. Uh, they started Leafly out of Orange County, California, uh, 10 plus years ago. And we all know kind of what that's evolved into today. And so anyways, they, at the time that they were getting ready to leave Leafly, they were hanging out in all these dispensaries and they realized that the cannabis industry would need some way of better understanding Number one, what was happening at the dispensary level. So giving the dispensary a better level of analytics from their point of sale data. And then they also knew that the industry would need something, some market data analytics. So comparative to a Nielsen or IRI, if you're in a traditional CPG uh, industry. And so originally what started, uh, the company started with our platform called Retailer. And what that does is it pulls in the dispensary's point of sale data from whenever they started using that point of sale system. And we pull all that data in, and then we populate that into a platform that we've built out that really breaks apart that data into 50 different reports and visualizations that the dispensary is then really using to manage their inventory and understand who their customer is. So that you can think of that product as uh, analytics in a box for the dispensary. Now, what we do on the back end is we've partnered with 27 point of sale systems throughout the U.S. and Canada. And, you know, given that our industry is emerging and it's, it's maturing, you see, especially over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of different point of sale systems come out, but really the market is primarily using some form of those 27 of them. So we've partnered with the majority of them. And what we're doing is we are aggregating all of that data. So in each market that we're working in, whenever we have a point of saturation, meaning that we're seeing somewhere around a 20% of transactions in that state or in that Canadian province, it gives us a substantial pool enough of data to then forecast it up for the entire market. And then we're able to start reporting in real time what people are purchasing. So this gives us a full category product brand discounting, price point view of everything that's being sold through in, in legal markets. So it's really powerful insights. It's primarily retailers and brands that are really using all of that data. And then they're figuring out, all right, well, what products do we stock on our shelves or what products do we make? There's a bevy of different questions that you can answer from that data. Uh, but you can think as a whole, you can think of Headset as really a cannabis data and analytics company, specifically focusing on point of sale data within dispensaries. So awesome. So awesome. Yeah, we've had yeah. a chance to talk. So I think it's amazing uh, being a consumer myself and going into uh, dispensaries and shopping. I can totally see from the consumer side how this can help. And obviously uh, from obviously the dispensary side, um, what data or trends have you recently seen that get you most excited about cannabis? Is there anything that, that sticks out? I mean, it's a big question because I mean, so, you know, you work with people all around the country, right? And so you know that like, because the industry is maturing, 
the trends are going to differ because of that. And so just broadly speaking, you know, inhalables are still making up the majority of market share, right? We're seeing as cannabis matures, we're seeing all kinds of product innovation happening right now. And this is happening through different types of products that are being made. So for example, beverages, right? We're seeing a lot of different uh, variations of beverages that are out there. You're seeing carbonated beverages, you're seeing, uh, syrups and elixirs and, uh, you know, alcohol replacements, you're seeing even cannabis milk. So you name it, it's being created at this point. But what I find really interesting is that so much of what's being created right now is also based on policy and regulation in that state or in that province. And so we'll start to see some uni uniformity among, you know, universal trends that are across all states. But right now, because there's so much that is dependent on really what is that infrastructure of that state when it comes to policy and regulation, but also what kind of expertise is available in that state or in that Canadian province, right? Because this is still being learned by all different types of people in different roles. And so we'll often find that the infrastructure needed might not, it might be more available in some states than others, right? For example, California, you know, having this long history and long culture of cannabis cultivation, you see very sophisticated practices here, more so than you might see in some newer states. So that the people component of this certainly plays into, into the trends that we see in terms of what products are available. But in general, for me, what, what I, I find most interesting, it's not really a specific trend it's more so just how that people are using data now to decide what products they make and then they're kind of coupling in that context of all right well what is available to us within the supply chain within our specific market how do we take the trends that we're seeing in our state how do we then you know apply that to what we want to create so it's really it's just it, at this point for me it's the idea of data it's it's the reality of what data can bring to a business uh, and then just watching everything kind of emerge in real time because it is so different by each market. Got it. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. And uh, this was MJ actually wanted me to ask you this question, but do you see uh, you, you use cannabis beverages as your example, but do you see uh, cannabis beverages overtaking uh, the popularity of edibles, probably not smoking, but maybe edibles and, and um, as the most common way to consume anytime soon? <laughs> I don't know any at any time soon, but absolutely. I think a lot of our analysts would agree with this. We're very bullish on beverages. If, if, you, if you just think about beverages and what role they play in our society, taking out cannabis or, or not, when we're talking about community and socializing, you go to an event, you go to a concert, you go hang out with your friends, your people are attached to having a beverage as almost as a form of safety, right? And so when we think about the different categories or the different ways that you can consume cannabis, some of those categories are going to be more, you know, in at, or apt to kind of facilitating that social consumption. And arguably, there's no better way to do that than a cannabis beverage, right? You could be socializing with your friends at a bar. We could see this in the future or being at Lollapalooza or Bottle Rock or, you know, some concert and, and you're having that same experience as your friends who are consuming an alcoholic beverage. And so I think beverages, ultimately, I don't know at what point this will happen, but I think that's really going to be one of the primary, um, you know, methods in which people are going to be consuming. I agree. I think with the beverages side of things, I've even got my wife, she, it wasn't a consumer of cannabis, but now she is. And, um, uh, California sober is uh, a real thing around my household these days. Um, not just in January, but I think just in general. So people, people are starting to understand that, Hey, you can, um, for me in particular, when people ask, you know, what my, how I stay uh, in my workouts and keep my fitness at the level I'm at, honestly, it's, uh, not consuming alcohol and, uh, using cannabis, but mm -hmm. so that, I, I like, uh, I like where you're, where that's trending. Uh, you've been involved uh, in various cannabis associations and committees. Can you tell the audience with what associations and committees you're currently active in and maybe the ones that you've been associated with in the past? Yeah, well, okay. So first, let me start, I guess, by explaining why I got involved and in kind of and what I'm doing in, in the cannabis industry and for Headset. So I've, I've been a part of Headset for about four years now. And originally when I was hired, we were looking at this role as sort of like, 
how Uber hires a GM to go in and launch a new, a new market for them. You have to scale both sides of the marketplace at the same time. So in our case, we're trying to scale retailer education as well as we're trying to educate all of the brands about what headset does. Based in California, as I mentioned, and over the last two years, I became really heavily involved in the California Cannabis Industry Association. And just this year, um, I was elected to the board of directors. And so I'm really looking forward to helping the association just drive more awareness and more members. I think one of the key things that I've learned from working with associations is that the association is there to push policy, to advocate for policy, to create opportunities for the community to connect based off the existing members. And so it's really important that members are involved in that association, that they're voicing their needs, they're voicing their concerns, they're voicing what they, they want the association to advocate for within policy. And, you know, this has been a critical piece of getting that, you know, fair and equitable policy passed in, in each of these markets. And so with CCIA in particular, I'm sure you read a lot about, you know, there's been a lot of headlines over this last year, just about how high the taxes are about the cultivation tax in specific. And this is making it really hard to do business. Um, I will say out of all the markets that kind of I've, I've been working in, California has been the most challenging market to build a cannabis company in. And a lot of this can come back to the policies that are being implemented. So anyways, I, I share all that because they've just been, it's like, if you want to be a part of this industry and oftentimes people will hit me up and say like, Hey, how do I get involved? Like, what did you do to get involved in the cannabis industry? Truly the associations were such a big piece of that. You want to be a part of it. You have to get involved. Yeah. 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 No, thanks for sharing. And man, I had a great show, uh, an earlier podcast. I don't know if it was probably episode called 60. So it was about 10 shows ago. And uh, Andrew D'Angelo was on and we had a great conversation talking about this topic. And uh, he's obviously, as you know, very, very passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he you know, said the same thing. I mean, it's all about you got to get involved and in, in this this has to change. And, you know, the biggest competitor to the, uh, you know, the, the legal cannabis industry is the illicit market, especially in California, mm-hmm. all these uh, you know, due to everything going on, but tell me about that. There's uh, socially equity, equity programs that you're passionate about and involved in. Um, tell us about the progress that you think we're making in cannabis when it comes to social equity or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's interesting because I, so yes, I've become very involved in a bevy of different equity programs. And I think a lot about like, well, why did I get you know, what am I fighting for? And why did I get so involved in these programs? And to just to kind of open this up and to put this, this, this perspective out there. um, When I joined the cannabis industry, I was at a place in my life where I'll say right before that I probably, I was not living like as my fully authentic self. I wasn't really conscious of who I was and what I was going to put into this, this earth, this, this short existence. And when you get out of your environment, your direct world, and you start adding yourself to other communities and you start to understand that, Hey, most people are kind of fighting for the same things, right? It's our base. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like we're all kind of fighting for the same things. And so the reason that I then got so involved in equity programs, it wasn't because I was like, Hey, I want to do my part in making things equitable. It was no, it was more so that I opened myself up to making new friends. And I just happened to make friends from all different backgrounds who are very passionate people. And because I started to come into my own consciousness and awareness of who I am as an individual and what I want, I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to help with anything that anyone asks me to help with, or that I think I can contribute to in my most authentic self. I'm just going to go do that. And so that's why I work on a bevy of different community kind of initiatives and there's equity initiatives. There's also some C-suite, very executive type initiatives that arguably don't have a lot of diversity and that I'm trying to bring that into that group. So it's, that's kind of what I've learned from it is that like an equity program, to me, equity means that it's opportunity for everyone. And you kind of need someone that's going to help drive that, that thought process of bringing in diverse, different mindsets into whatever it is that you're wanting to build out. 
Does that all make, make sense? Yeah. yeah. Actually, you just made me realize that's kind of, that's kind of what happened to me uh, in, yeah. in, in the cannabis space. I mean, when we started Y Scouts, we were the first purpose-based leadership search firm. We always talked about it being a movement. And obviously that's the best way to kind of describe cannabis. It's a movement with people from, you know, all walks of life. And I, I kind of went through the same process. It's funny that you explain it that way, but that's, um, that's how I felt too. It just kind of woke me up, uh, to you, what's out there and to, you know, everybody in the in universe in particular, politically, uh, you think about we've there's, you know, if you think of political parties, two, two different sides, they've never been in agreement about one topic, uh, than cannabis in a long time. I mean, it's almost like, uh, it's almost comical to a certain degree. And we still can't get stuff done, but, uh, so that's, that's amazing how, uh, you look at kind of social equity from your perspective and how you got involved. Tell me how you, you started to mention a little bit, but how, when, how, and why did you get involved in the cannabis industry to, to start? I basically started working on various forms of technology or within an agency that was building some type of either a mobile app or a mobile advertising or user acquisition strategy. And so basically I was working with large scale mobile app developers in a bevy of different ways. And so I had been introduced, I was working at this company called Rubicon Project, a a big ad exchange. And one of my colleagues was like, hey, my neighbor is Cy Scott, you know, one of the co-founders of Leafly. Um, And because I had always worked in in the app world, I was just, and I'm a longtime cannabis enthusiast, you know, probably 16, 17 years at this point. And I was obsessed with Leafly. I loved Leafly. And so he mentioned this to me. I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to meet him. So anyways, met up with Cy. He told me what he was working on with Headset. I was ready to make a transition out of ad tech and, and try something new. Um, and, and mostly because working in, working in mobile the year that the iPhone came out, it's like working in cannabis the year it became legal, right? You're unknowns, like you have to figure everything out as you go. I had the most fun ride. That was 10 years of my life that I was just constantly evolving and learning just the, the change that comes with this type of industry. It, it's just so much fun. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Talking about your background, uh, you worked at some pretty amazing companies. I mean, I remember just off the top of my head, Flipboard, Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, I think Uber was on there. What was your favorite company prior? I mean, obviously headsets, you know, your passion now, but what did you like the most from a company standpoint prior in, and why, and maybe what role? Yeah. Well, okay. So to be clear, those were all projects that I was working on. So I was always on the agency side um, or working for like a Rubicon project that was facilitating or helping those companies. So I've worked with, gosh, dozens of, you know, the top 100 apps that are in the marketplace. Um, And what I, what I loved about that access to knowledge and, and the learnings that comes with that, right? You're getting to understand how different companies are structured. You're getting to understand leadership in those companies and you're seeing the different styles within different departments and teams. So just the, the pure like access to knowledge, it, it was, it's like a, it's like a college degree, right? Working with that many different types of clients and so that was just like, again, again, it's just like so incredible to, to have access to that. Um, and, you know, I guess in, well, what, and what's sorry, what's the, the specific question, like comparative to now, or what was my favorite yeah, kind of experience? Yeah, favorite project that you worked on uh, after, um, you know, just in working with all those different clients. You kind of have to really love like instability and change. And if you're someone that thrives in that, like, being a part of this industry, it's going to itch that scratch for you. Like, and so for me, I just, what I'm, it's, it is comparative to kind of what I was learning in tech and just how fast paced everything was. And with an unstable industry, it's, it really pushes people's ego. It really tests someone. And I'm, I'm currently going through this myself right now and, and trying to explore this within myself. But when you're in challenging situations that are highly unstable, it really forces you as an individual to respond. You see what you're made of. You know what I mean? You know, you see what you're made of. You, you see how you treat other people like in these high tested kind of situations, you learn so much more about yourself. And so 
for me personally, like if I were to pick the best company or job that I've worked for, my experience that I've had, it, it would be what I'm currently doing. And it's for those reasons. So another thing that I wanted to uh, ask, uh, how, and you've kind of answered this already when you start talking about, um, you know, talking about the associations and stuff and why uh, you join them. But I really look up to you as, uh, you know, as, as a thought leader in the cannabis space. And I think people listening to this that may want to become a thought leader, what advice would you give them? I mean, clearly you talked about the associations, the committees and, and getting involved in that aspect, but how would you humbly explain to somebody how you become a thought leader in an industry like cannabis? Well, first I would say like, no, if, if you're going to get out there and publicly speak about something and to advocate for something and to become a thought leader, you have to have a perspective. You have, you have to have an opinion. And so I think from the people that I really respect and that I see put themselves out there and I try to do this is that you're, you're providing value to people because you yourself have some thought about way thing, the way things should be or, or whatever it may be. But you, it first starts with like an internal knowing who you are, knowing what you want to be putting out there, knowing what value essentially you can provide to people. If you don't have that first piece answered, people right now, there is a shift, like there is a consciousness and awakening that's happening. And if you don't have that first part, people are going to see through it. And actually there's, uh, there's plenty of studies that are coming out now about Gen Z. Gen Z is very turned off from any marketing that's like, logo marketing or, or, um, overly processed kind of marketing, I guess, for lack of a better word, they want authentic marketing. That's why you see the shift in the individual influencer. And it's not a celebrity influencer. You're seeing just real people that are able to influence purchases that are able to influence different thoughts. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm providing value based on what I know that I could do. I'm providing my unique spin on it. And then I'm going to the platforms, to the channels that I know people are listening and I'm being very thoughtful about sharing that. And so if you want to, whether you want to be a thought leader or whether you want to get involved in the industry, you, you have to do all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I would agree. Uh, you know, you touched on consumers being very smart, Gen Z in particular, and, and others that are picking up on an authentic brand. And for us, that all starts with why we want to put purpose-driven leaders and companies to drive you know, great cultures, because people can see right through uh, the exterior marketing, uh, you know, and they can see a company uh, pretty transparently in this day and age. So I think you're, you're absolutely right on those points. Uh, what do you, uh, you know, what, what do you enjoy most about the cannabis community? I mean, I know that you've talked about a lot of it, but is there anything that you, you know, think back and say, this is what I enjoy most about this community? Yes. Okay. So what I enjoy most is because I'm, I'm a really curious person and it's funny. Cause like I can talk to people all day long and ask them questions about themselves and just dig deep. And I actually have a much harder time talking about myself. But what I love about the cannabis community is that it gives, like I mentioned earlier, like the cannabis community, there's no one type of person that's in this industry. You're getting all walks of life in it. And so I'll use a basic example, a, a, a hot kind of touch, <laughs> hot button example, but let's take, you know, uh, people talking about vaccines, like, you know, people who are vaccinated, people who are unvaccinated, you're going to get people on both of those sides in the cannabis industry. And what I find is that because this community is filled with people that are, and this is just my experience, but this is more so than any other industry or any other community that I've been a part of, you get people that are, that are kind of coming in of that mindset, like non-judgment non-judgment. So you, you end up have, I just end up having conversations despite if I agree with the person or not that are open, that are non-judgmental. And I think it's because cannabis as a whole, if you're working in this industry, you, you're kind of of that mindset as a byproduct, because listen, this has been an illegal industry up for most States up until recently. And so you're getting that like change maker, you're getting that wild West of a person, you're getting a pioneer who's, who's willing to go through everything that it takes to be a part of this. This is not an easy industry to be a part of quite, quite the opposite. 
And so I love being around people that are just of that mindset and that you, you get so many different opinions, but you get a forum and a community of people that is just more open to talking, communicating, and then not being judgmental in, if you have a different opinion. And so then what has happened for me as a byproduct is like, wow, okay, you know, there really could be some form of peace because you just learn, like, you you just don't have to agree with everyone in our different worlds, our different communities, our different stories we're telling ourselves. And so all we have to do as an individual is just show up and be ourself. It's, it's, it sounds so basic, but just be yourself, know yourself. And then you're going to find that when you do that work, then you're going to be able to come to a conversation and be like, all right, well, I don't agree with that person, but that's that person's experience and that's their world that they're living in. Yeah. 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 No, thanks for sharing. And in your opinion, what is, what has been uh, the most significant progress the cannabis industry has made since you've been working in it? I know, I know you've talked a lot about it, but I want to just see if there's anything in particular that you, uh, that you point out is the most significant like progress. Yeah, I think hands down, just the the rates of destigmatization and how much we're seeing cannabis a part of mainstream conversation. Um, I just think from my personal experience, you know, I, I have a very open family. My family has been nothing but supportive, and and in fact, we have a, a long line of of you know cannabis enthusiasts in my family. But I think just the conversations that I'll have with my grandmothers, or just the comfort that I have in talking to anyone openly about what I do. Um, is certainly a sig- signal to me of like, and this has happened in, especially through the pandemic, right? Like when cannabis was deemed essential at the start of the pandemic, just think about what that means for public perception. And that creates like it, it, it signals to the public, like this is a real legitimate industry. The amount of research that we're seeing coming out now, you know, the, just in the past couple of weeks, now a bunch of research in science on how CBD is potentially, you know, helping with COVID. So it's just, it's becoming a mainstream part of, of a conversation. And I think that is like so incredible to see in just such a short period of time. We're talking the last two years, this is becoming an even larger conversation. And so I can only imagine where, uh, you know, the industry is going to be a couple of years from now. Gosh, you know, you, you're right on it. Even in my own household, I will openly talk about this. My wife wasn't that big of a consumer. I mentioned that before. Now she kind of is because now she's <clears throat> kind of seen some of the benefits. And then for Christmas, she got me some plants that I'm now growing just as a hobby because I, I go to obviously a lot of these, uh, you know, big time cultivation centers. And, and uh, so I decided to start doing it on my own. So now I'm, I've got five kids and they see my plants growing in my little closet. Uh, I just think it's you know, what a, what a, uh, change of times in the last, you know, a couple of years, um, in particular in my household, I've been very open about it recently, uh, as you kind of indicated with your family, what do you, what do you see as the biggest challenges right now in the cannabis industry? Um, from, in my experience, it's really, and it, this is very, you know, market by market specific, but I think as a whole, I think the biggest challenge is that, you know, this is all, we don't know what, what, we don't really know what this, what cannabis means yet for our society as a whole, like everything is emerging in real time. And so with that, you know, it's like the policies that are being implemented. There's a lot of people that don't really understand cannabis. And then, you know, we're kind of crafting policies and, you know, it's, to me, it's the, it's the education that we still need to have happen on every single front. So that this can be a really succinct, stable, healthy industry. And because, and I, I oftentimes will be a little bit, I feel like hard on, on maybe policymakers or people just like, Hey, why like this, this, this doesn't make sense. How could this make sense to you? But then I have to take a step back and be like, all right, like it's very understandable why some of the policies might not make sense. We don't know what we don't know. And because this is all just emerging in real time, the education is coming with it. And so I think the biggest challenges for the industry right now, it so much of it comes down to those unknowns, which then is implemented in policy and in regulation. And then that's when you see things like, you know, the illicit markets 
states. And there's just a bevy of issues that'll, that'll come stem specifically from policy and regulation. But I think that is the biggest, that is the biggest hurdle in, in my experience. And this is across the, you know, multitude of, of markets that I'm, I'm talking to people in it, a lot of it comes down to that. Um, and then, but then there's other things that, that come with that, right? It's like, it, it all comes back to education. It comes back to community education. It comes back to, you know, talking about it within your specific community, but then it comes down to kind of sharing your experience. Let's say if you're a, a retailer or a brand, like you want to be talking to each other within whatever market and understanding the pain points, because there's a lot of, um, kind of combativeness between different sides of the supply chain. And I think when there's more conversation and understanding that's happening within the two sides, you start, you can then start to address them. You can start to fix them. You can start to work on solutions that are going to help the entire supply chain. And so that education piece and that, that understanding the listening without judgment, that is just all critical so that we can then go have the fair and equitable policies that are going to make it easier to actually run a business in this industry. Um, but people are struggling, you know, especially in a lot of the mature legacy markets, the, each of those markets has very different nuances to them that makes it challenging in that market. And oftentimes, again, I find that it comes back to policy because of a lack of education or understanding of what this industry is about. And we all just need to kind of pause for a moment, I think, and just recognize it's all understandable. It's all understandable because we don't know what this is and it's emerging in real time. So we got to listen. We got to show up for each other. And we got to present ideas that are actionable and that are like reasonable. They, there's, there's thought put into them. Uh, and then I think we'll be able to mature even more quickly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, very well stated. Throughout your career, you've dedicated a lot of your time in women-based organizations. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I think I know why, but what drives your passion around those efforts? So that's going to go back to what I was talking about, like the equity piece, you know, it's, it's not actually that I'm like, you know, out there, like, come on women, we got to do this. And like, it is a part of that, but it's more so just that, like, look, we just show up for anyone who's going to ask and anything that we think we can contribute to, you just show up because that in itself is the right thing. Not because you're trying to, you know, prove that you're doing something in equity. You just do the right thing with whoever you are. And so um, my involvement in different, you know, women's organizations, a lot of those started in tech. Like I was pretty involved in several different, like women in wireless, for example, from its, from its onset. Um, and a lot of that was based around conversation of, hey, you know, how, do, how can we get more women in executive roles? How can more women be at the table for these conversations? And one of the things that I'm trying to do is just simply like lead by example. And that's just being strong and voicing my opinion. I I'm going through this currently. I, I, I face this a lot where it's like, I feel like I have to fight really hard to have my voice heard and where it might be a, a more of a, a externally a hard shell for me that I want to have. But, you know, I've just also, I'm going to fight for what I'm passionate about and what I believe that I can contribute and what I can do. And I'm just going to have faith that the people are, that I surround myself with are going to give me that chance and have, have the faith in me to do that. And so I find that the more people that I'm talking to, it doesn't matter what community is, but let's say women, you know, it's like the more of these types of conversations and experiences that we're sharing and stories that we're sharing, then it just creates a greater level of understanding and awareness that you're not alone. And okay, great. Then I can take that, you know, woman's experience and hear how she navigated that. That gives me something to think on about how I can go navigate that conversation within my company internally. It's just like the stories that we share with each other are, are just so important. And so I'm just realizing the, the channels and the formats and the opportunities to be able to do that. That's, that's where, that's where we learn, you know, that's it's it, everything like storytelling and just sharing stories. This argument, like to me, this is just the most impactful thing that a society could do. Like, cause otherwise it just, you don't have understanding without story. You, you just don't. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's awesome to share that. I'm going to jump into maybe some, um, just more, some more personal stuff too. I mean, not that that wasn't personal, but even more, 
What and I always get into this topic, so I want to kind of get into it with you. Uh, with I always get into this topic with my guests, but what are some personal habits and like daily routines uh, that that have helped you be kind of the great person leader you are today? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a pretty. I guess one would describe me as a type A person. Like I'm a pretty structured person. So for me, I would consider myself um, very much a creative. Like if I'm not having creative outlets, then my professional life suffers. My overall happiness suffers. And so for me, my daily habits are, well, one, I'm a, I'm a late night owl. I'm a late night cat. And it's so funny because, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, you've got to wake up early and this is the best way to be most productive. And I just challenge that. And I, I, I just don't, you know, that works for some people, but that doesn't work for me. Like I'm a, I have my best ideas late in the evening. I do not like waking up early. And so I go off of my kind of rhythm. So what I do is exercise or just getting out in fresh air and being in nature. It is so my best ideas happen then. And so what I do in terms of my structure is number one, I'm, I don't wake up, you know, at the crack of dawn, I allow myself to wake up just naturally as I wake up. And then I have, you know, my, my day I'm behind the computer and I'm on calls all day, but I make sure that I like get dressed. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm, you know, putting out the person physically that I want to be, you know, engaging with in in the world. Um, And then in the evenings, I, I live in Oakland. I live on Lake Merritt and I go walk the lake pretty much every day with my partner and we will debrief on our day and we share insights on kind of what both of us learned in the industry. And then I come back and, you know, we make dinner and I, I will play guitar or I'll read, I'll do something that is going to kind of help the creative side of myself to transition energies. And that's when I'll consume, like I, I smoke flour. That's my, that's pretty much the only form factor for me. I'll try other things, but that's, I love the process of it. I want to feel the buds. I want to grind it. I want to be a part of that process. And then I'll go into, you know, playing guitar and just allowing myself to transition into a more creative state. And so I find when I am fully like thoughtful in all the things in my day, then it, everything is then connected. Then I'm like, I end up having a better idea for a project at work, or I can work through a social interaction better, but everything, because I feel like a whole person just becomes easier to navigate through my day. And I've lived time periods of my life where that wasn't necessarily the case, where I wasn't putting just as much energy into my creative side of myself. And I just found that everything in my life then suffered. So it's so important to have, like, I guess what people say is like balance, like you got to balance, like the amount of hours that you're spending working with the things that really drives you and the things that light you up. And maybe it's connected for you and maybe it's not, you know, like for me, work happens to be a great creative inspiration, like just being a part of this and the role that I had, there's a great amount of creativity, but I also need that outside stimulation and something that's not connected to that world. And some people don't have that, right? Some people aren't going to find their job as like a creative source of energy. So you just got to make sure then that you're having that other piece for yourself. And so for me, that's just been the most impactful thing. And I'm regimented with it. Like that's pretty much Monday through, you know, Friday, you're going to find me working X till X hour. Then you're, you're going to, I'm walking the lake and then I'm playing my music. It's, 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 uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, a regimented schedule in that regard, but it, it works for my, like, I feel like I have enough creative freedom within it. That's awesome. I've got a neighbor, a good friend across the street. He tells me the same thing. He quit using alarm clock. He doesn't believe in alarm clocks. He wakes up when his body tells him to wake up. Um, and I love that, you know, you're, you know, you're, you work, your mind works best in at night. Mine, mine works best in the morning, but what I have learned, the more mature me, I used to be a wake up at 5am workout, do it again. What I've started learning is, uh, I use an aura ring. So I know how well I rest it But when my alarm goes off at 5am, I usually get up right before it wakes up as life would have it. But if I haven't, if my body's not well rested, if I didn't get a good night's sleep, I go back to sleep and I sleep another couple of hours and then I figure out how to work out later on in the day. So I've just kind of adjusted my schedule. So I am a morning person, but as I've gotten older, I think I'm just like smarter uh, about, you know, pushing my body. Um, and I'm very, very regimented like you, but also have, you know, kind of the, 
the fun stuff, uh, work in there at the right hours. And then sometimes I come back to my computer once I've rested and I'm in a different state of mind just to come up with creative ideas. I love that. Mm-hmm. You believe, um, what do you believe is your life purpose? I know this is a big question, but since we're a purpose-based leadership search firm, I always love to ask, do you, do you believe you know what your life purpose is? Um, <laughs> so uh, it's funny. My, my, my partner, Claudio will always be like, you have a case of the Mondays. Cause every Monday I'll be like, what is my life purpose? And then I go in this like viral of like trying to figure this out. Um, yeah. So here's where I've come to. So <sighs> over the past couple of years, what, what I've been realizing is cause I used to be someone that was very much like, you have to find your purpose and, and you, you work towards that thing. And that's, that's what you do. And that just kind of led me astray because then I would identify with whatever that I thought that purpose is. So if you're supposed to be some executive in the industry, in an industry or whatever, then you're, you start to identify with that. And for me, that was really bad because you then start to create stories around who you should be. And then you can get very disconnected from yourself because you're, you're working towards the story. It's not actually a truth. And so what I've realized is that I, there's, I have no purpose other than just to be here right now, giving myself fully to everything that I'm doing. So when I'm out, like, and I'm meeting someone, I'm showing up for every conversation I'm showing up and that's all that my purpose is. Because then what happens is when you do that, every, the universe provides, it's like everything will fall into place because then you start to realize like, oh, I really like this thing, or I'm really good at that. And then maybe you, you will think that might be your purpose, right? Like I could have an argument maybe that, okay, my purpose is to, you know, be a leader in whatever industry that I'm in and to teach people and to inspire people. But that's just like a story. That's like something that you tell yourself that you're going to be. But like, really, I think it's just like, no, I'm just going to, whatever I choose to do in this world with whatever time that I have, I'm just going to go into it as fully myself. I'm going to show up and I'm going to participate. And there, I have no other purpose other than that. Got it. No, I love that. Where do you get, uh, and maybe this is the right word, but competitive drive. I mean, obviously you get a lot done and you push forward, you push through things, you know, navigating a new industry, uh, you know, a new role for, for the most part for, for this particular company in this industry. But how, were you raised a certain way? Did you see people do things a certain way? I mean, where do you, where do you believe you get your competitive drive from? Probably in part, like I'm a Sagittarius and I would identify with that um, in like a lot of traits that kind of come with a Sagittarius trait. I would, you know, a lot of that is like a competitive nature, highly passionate people. Um, but I think it, it is both um, nurture and nature. So I think that I was, I was raised in an environment. My dad's an architect and he was a self-taught architect. Like he dropped out of high school and he's a very renowned architect in all throughout California. And he builds uh, residential properties that are all sustainably made. And these are just incredible, incredible properties, but he didn't go to college. He didn't have, like, he just interned and got experience. And then his career grew out of straight passion. And my mom, she's a photographer and she's a creative and it's the same thing. She just like, she's, I've watched her try to start many different types of businesses, all in a creative, like selling her own goods. And so I just, I don't know. I think I'm just raised by people that are just extremely passionate people and more so people that are of a mindset that you can kind of do anything you want to do. Like, for example, um, Okay. So I learned to play the guitar about six years ago and I, my, I'm from a family of musicians. My parents play multiple instruments. I grew up or it like had a studio in my house growing up. Like there was no reason that I, like I had access to every instrument I could have wanted to play, but I never picked up a guitar before. Like I never even attempted it because I had this idea in my head for some reason that like, no, you're, you didn't start when you were young. There's no way you're going to learn to play the guitar. What are you thinking? So in that like time period that I took off before joining the cannabis industry, I bought a guitar. I signed up for a weekly guitar lesson, voice lesson, drum lesson. And I'm not kidding. Within weeks, I was playing and singing. I had no idea I could sing. 
And within months I was doing stand-up gigs and playing with people. And it blew my mind that like, I had this idea. I couldn't do something based on no, there's no reason that I should have had that idea in my mind that I couldn't do this. And it wasn't until I learned how to like acquire information, meaning like learn the structure and the system of learning how to play a guitar and then simply spending the time to do it. And so maybe there's some like to your original question, like the competitiveness, like there probably is some aspect of that in me, just like, okay, I want to be the best that I can be. I'm going to put everything towards this. It's not like an external competitiveness where I'm trying to be better than someone else. It's now just like, how do I be the best version of myself? And I'm only competing with myself on that front. Um, but it's just been, it's been like so eye-opening to me that like oftentimes it's just we're, we're telling ourselves some story from the start that may prevent us from doing something that really is our passion or, you know, the, the pur purpose, quote unquote, but we don't even give ourselves the opportunity to go explore that. And so that's part of the competitiveness. It's just like this yearning to experience more, to push myself to just like, I don't know when I could walk out the door and get hit by a bus or whatever. I could not be here. And I just don't know when my time is going to end. And it's sometimes it sounds morbid because I think about death a lot and not in a way of like a fear of fear, but more so appreciation to be alive and that I want to do everything that I can to push myself to experience as much as I can to do as much as I can to enjoy as much as I can. I'm not, I'm not saying like, I want, I'm pushing myself to be this like top level person in every degree. I'm saying, I just want to have a good time. I want to have fun. And it's fun to me to push myself in those ways. Yeah. Gosh, you're so awesome. I could talk to you all day. Uh, just about <laughs> this type of stuff. You've been amazing. What you, it's kind of switching gears a little bit, just because I I'm I want to pick your brain on this and a lot of things, but we probably won't have time for everything. But what type of leader, since we're in the hiring space, and I've just enjoyed you know your perspective on stuff so much, I'm kind of getting into some, I guess, a little bit more advanced questions when it comes to the hiring side of things. But what type of leaders make uh, the biggest impact in an emerging industry like cannabis? I have been thinking about this a lot. Um, and I think it's so different for different types of people that you have. But in general, I would say the best types of leaders are, gosh, it's going to come back to everything that I'm talking about. It's so it's you, you know, when you can sense someone that is like truly passionate about something that they're a living example of it, that they, it's like, just, it's, it's, it, they breathe it. You can, it's a palpable feeling. So I find that people that are that type of leader, which often can come with a lot of negative, negative sides of that, right? Those, there's also a lot of uh, harshness and a directness, and it, those could be very hard, you know, people to work with or work for. But I find that people who are really passionate to their core and who have a high aptitude for um, non-judgment and listening, like people who are curious, people who are going to go out and talk to all different levels of people within their organization, really seek to understand those individuals, put themselves out there in terms of just acquiring as much of that information as possible to then bring it back to the business to guide decisions. So basically they're creating an environment of openness, of authenticity, those are the types of people that I've worked for that I try to be that have been most impactful because you know, then you can be in a very unstable situation and maybe you're with that type of environment, you're going to facilitate people coming to the table with new ideas and not being afraid to do that. You're giving people an opportunity to open up and be their best, create most creative self. And I think in return, when you really like go put yourself out there to seek to understand and to listen openly, you just can do so much more with that information. And I, I just, I see a lot of leaders who are kind of siloed and who are just like, you know, like, cause you're busy, right? It's, it's hard to make time. Like it's a job just to go out and talk to people like that is a job. So it can be really hard and you might not have time to regularly be communicating with different departments and different team members, but 
it is so critical. I just don't know how people could build a business without doing that, you know, and, and, and it requires that also to understand like the emerging like landscape that your business is within, like going and talking to your competitors, like going and talking to people within your competitors, just, do you know what I mean? That just like that, that openness to people, because it doesn't matter what company or what type of product, like people are still behind it. So just valuing people it's some people really understand that and some people um like more maybe engineering minds or analyst mindsets like they're not as much of the people kind of mindset i find those people to be a little bit harder to work with or work for and i'm just less inspired or motivated because it's then becomes a job it's not a it's not a career and a life it's just simply completing a task and so I think you can get more from people when you understand more about people. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh my gosh, very well put. Hey, what? This is a question that might be running its course. To you might be one of the last people I ask, but just from the different things you've said, I want to I want to hear how you answer it. What are some uh, COVID nineteen blessings? I mean, clearly it's something that's going to continue on, probably for hopefully not forever, but it seems like it's going to continue on in some shape or form. But looking back at like the event of COVID and clearly it's not over, it's still amongst us, but is there any things that, that have, that came clear to you that were blessings in disguise uh, through the entire process? Oh, totally. I mean, my whole experience through COVID, I would, I would classify as positive more than I would negative hands down. Um, But it's also, it's also your mindset and perspective. Um, I think that like for me personally, just the opportunity to kind of be in one place a little bit more. I, I personally was on in my last industry or, or pre COVID, um, I was on the road every week. And so it's like, you cut, you start to get disconnected from yourself when you're not having time for, for yourself. So for me, just having more opportunity to hang out with my loved ones, to be in my space, building my, like a new type of life. I made a lot of personal transitions. Like I moved from, I was living in the city. I moved over to Oakland or I should say San Francisco. And then I moved over to Oakland. I went and spent a lot more time with my family. My I'm super close with my parents, my siblings. And my parents bought this like 50 foot RV mid pandemic and a bit just traveling around the country. So I'll go meet up with them. And so just having that family time and that connection, it's just, I'm so grateful for that because life was just moving so fast that I couldn't see how much I was missing. And I was just so focused on like my career that I just was, my life was missing out in these other areas. Um, So that's been positive for me personally. And then I think from like a society perspective, right now it's really hard because there's a lot of divisiveness where people are attaching to an idea. You're a anti-vaxxer or you have to be vaccinated. We're attaching to these ideas that people, it doesn't even mean what it's about anymore. And so I think what's, I think through this process, people are fed up. They're like, I'm there's, they're starting to realize that like, no, we don't have to bucket or judge someone based on something that requires a whole lot more understanding and context to it, other than just putting people in a bucket. And while this might not be the case at scale at this point, meaning we still see a lot of people that are, there's still so much divisiveness that's happening that's always going to, that's part of waking up. Like it's hard before you wake up. It's not an easy process. And I think that we are, this is all creating that process for us. I'm much more positive mindset on the pandemic and as hard as it is right now, politically, like this is the start of an awakening for people. And I'm very hopeful about that. God, I love that perspective. I'm right there with you. But I'm going to go through kind of some rapid fire questions. Uh, you've been so amazing uh, with the the discussion we've had so far. I, I literally, and, and I do say this to other wonderful guests, but I could talk to you for hours. I literally could talk to you for hours. So I look forward to continuing the conversation another time. But I'm going to ask some like yeah. more rapid fire questions and just, just to kind of get to know you a little bit better. Um, you've answered some of them, but th- this will get a little bit more clarity. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Oh, sadly, check my phone. honest honesty is the best what book have you read more than once or what is your favorite book um i'd answer that i'm reading homo deuce right now 
And that I'm just, it's eye-opening. Anyone who's in, like curious about the pandemic and, 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 and other pandemics that we face as a society and kind of how this all plays out, like highly recommend Homo Deus. Just absolutely fascinating read of our history as a people. Awesome. I can't wait to check that out. If you, get, if you had to give a 10-minute presentation on a topic on the fly, what would it be? Oh, boy. You know what's so funny? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm a, 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 a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, but I, I would probably do that something music related. Maybe the Beatles. I'm a diehard Beatles fan. Awesome. Uh, which person has had the greatest impact on your life? Which person? Um, gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> huh? You know, hmm, the greatest impact on my life. It's interesting because the first person that kind of comes to my mind would be would be my dad, who I'm I I'm, my relationship with. Uh, my birth dad is not probably the closest, but being around an individual that I've just seen so much like passion from for what they do, like he's just I I, I greatly admire creatives. Like I, and he's an extreme creative, and just seeing that fire, I think that has probably had the most impact on me. That's awesome. What is something uh, you're waiting, uh, something on your bucket list that you're waiting to check off? Well, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to my next kind of boundary pushing trip. Um, I climbed Kilimanjaro, uh, actually with my dad, uh, right before the pandemic. And that was just next level boundary pushing where now I'm like, all right, well, what's the next, you know, climb that I'm going to do. And I don't want to do Everest, but, um, something through the Himalayas, I think would be incredible. Awesome. What's the most spontaneous thing you've done lately? Obviously you just climbed Kilimanjaro before the pandemic. So maybe something other than that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, my whole world is in spontaneity, to be honest. Um, I'm, yeah, if, if, if you follow me on like Instagram, I share a lot about kind of my life and my travels. I'm always up for like every, it pretty much like every weekend I'm, I'm off on some travel and I'm always on the road. And so, um, <laughs> you, you can check out and see what I mean, um, by that, if, if, if you follow me, but it's just, it, I have a zest for life. It's, it's, I couldn't even pick one thing because it's just, I feel like it's constant spontaneity to which I live my life. Awesome. And then we'll start wrapping up, but how do list, how do our listeners get a hold of you and support you, you and your company? What are the uh, URLs and your handles if if you're open to uh yeah. following you? I, I will follow you on Instagram now that you told me this so I can see what you're up to. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So if you want to connect with me, um, in particular, if you are working for a retailer or if you are working with a brand um, or an investor, then you can reach out to me at jocelyn at headsot.io and I can facilitate conversations with the appropriate team members from there. Uh, and then I would also highly recommend, like if you are interested in data, if you're interested in how do you incorporate it, like what exactly does data mean? If you want to understand some of the emerging trends that we're seeing, um, highly recommend that you just go to our website and go to the resources tab on our website. We produce so much content, like every month we're coming out with some big industry report every week we've got different blogs or tidbits that are looking at some aspect of the industry so the amount of free information that you could acquire you can go get that from our website right now highly recommend that like honestly all the stuff that i'm learning so much of it is just from the free materials um and then if you're interested in learning more about like hey these are the questions we're wanting to answer with the data. Can you help me figure out, can we do that through headsets data set? Then you can reach out to me personally and I can facilitate that conversation. Um, And then for me personally, I do share a lot on LinkedIn. So I try to share as much of what I'm learning from the data and the insight side. I try posing, you know, think piece kind of questions or content for people to think about. Um, So I'd say just connect with me on LinkedIn. Or if you want to um, connect on on Instagram, then um, you can follow me at Jossie Bossie. 
Jossie Bossy. And I will attest the posts that you send on LinkedIn are amazing. Like the data, uh, the topics, everything's amazing. So you've been listening to the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen brought to you by Scouts. You can find all of our past and future podcasts at Scouts.com. Jocelyn, I'm going to give you the last word. What advice would you give our audience to help them excel in both their personal and professional life that you haven't already given them? Oh, just show up, just show up for yourself. Just show up in general. Like your next conversation that you go to right now, truly be there. Don't be surfing on your phone. Don't be on the internet. Like be, just be there, like show up fully. See what happens from there. It's unbelievable what happens from there. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight-up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.